Tanya is a tool, a state of mind, mental state, um, form of knowledge. It's all of the above. It's a tool that you need to use in order to understand Dhamma. It's, it's, uh, it's like sati mindfulness, samadhi concentration. You, you developed it, it becomes a skill. The skill is needed for you to use to understand Dhamma. At the same time, it is a state of mind. Meaning, when your mind is of a certain state, you experience wisdom, you experience panya. The mind is a certain state, you experience wisdom. It's also knowledge. To say that someone has panya is to say that someone understands what is Dhamma. It's all of the above. So, trying to explain this is going to be tricky. It's going to be very difficult. But we'll try. Lah. We'll try. You all had printed what was sent to you, right? You, you will need it as reference. Easier to follow. And hopefully, um, at the end of this session, um, you would hopefully say that eh, it's as illuminating as previous sessions and not what to do on top. <laughs> okay. Now, um, intuitively, if you look at your notes, I've written some points there. Intuitively, we all know that panya is very critical to realization. It's almost the it's literally the last door. Have or not makes the difference. You have the panya. You can see it. Step by step by step by step, you will see. You don't have the pannier, you don't even know where to begin. You don't know where to start. So as I was coming up with Zhang Xing, I was saying, um, you know you need it, but you don't know what it looks like. Then how do you develop something that you don't know what it looks like? Tricky lah. So I say Buddha brilliant. To be able to... to come up with a teaching that essentially allowed people through the centuries to use and figure out on their own, figure it out on their own, how to develop the qualities required to see the Dhamma. It's brilliant. Now, um, if you recall, earlier on we talked about the 37 factors of enlightenment. And I, I mentioned before that you need to have these factors developed as mental states in order for you to be able to see Dhamma. Panya is one of the few factors that appear again and again and again. Sati is the one that appears most regularly, followed by uh, Virya. Uh, Samadhi is also very regular and Panya appears quite often. And when it doesn't appear as a word, for instance, in the Eightfold Path, nowhere was it mentioned in the Eightfold Path, you know the Eightfold Path, huh? nowhere is it mentioned that you need, that Panya is a factor. But embedded in the Eightfold Path, Panya stands out. 
as a critical factor. Your first two elements, right view and right thought, belong to a pioneer category. So, pioneer is there. It's just not said. Buddha didn't say summer pioneer, but it is there. In the seven factors of enlightenment, I know you don't remember what the seven factors of enlightenment is in your first lecture notes, the first one. In the seven factors of enlightenment, again, it's not mentioned anywhere, the word pioneer. But the very first one says sati, mindfulness. The second one says dhamma vichaya, dhamma investigation. Just these two together is pioneer. That you have the correct mindfulness so that your mind is aware of the moment and with the kind of mind that is aware of the moment, you start observing the nature of the mind, you can have the arising of Dhamma knowledge. In order that you can recognize those as Dhamma knowledge, Panya, you have to have wisdom to recognize the, the ideas that are popping up. Okay? So, in the 37 factors of enlightenment, even when they are not mentioned, the Panya is actually there in the mix. Okay, how is Panya supposed to work? I'm going to explain it as uh, part of a journey. Think of it as a journey, okay? When you first became a Buddhist, and you first say that I want to practice Buddhism, I want to practice the Buddha's teaching, I want to see, I want to understand Buddha's teaching. You're not even talking about Nibbana, it's just I want to understand Buddha's teaching. Very early point in your choice, that point. Huh? You need to have some, what I call, practical, mundane, simple wisdom. Mundane. This is not your supra-mundane pioneer, but it is still pioneer of sort. You need to sit down and then you study the kind of philosophies of faith out there. And you say that this particular one somehow speaks to me. Why does it speak to me? Because when I look at what this person teaches, it seems to correlate with my life's experience. And because there is some correlation, I can, I can feel the relevance, let's check the teaching out a little bit more. It, all, it has to start like this. So if you say that you are a Buddhist, that you are a student of Dhamma, but you have no idea what the Buddha taught, then there is no solid sadha faith and there is no panya involved, wisdom. When that happens, how long you stay in this tradition or you, this school or this teaching is yuanfen, completely yuanfen. Yuanfen, yi liao, you move on because you, it doesn't speak to you. Which is why in the Buddha's time, the Buddha usually said, okay, in the Buddha's time, he usually said, come, sit, listen, hear, lend your ear, Meaning you sit down there doesn't mean you heard what he said. Then you need to hear, you have to remember, you have to compare with your own experience, reflect. You see the correlation, that's when you say, I think it makes sense. I want it. 
I want to know more. So this flow, right, this choosing to go, choosing to pay attention, listening to the talk, then using what was said, what was taught, and compared to your own life experience, all these is very proactive. It requires you to think about it, reflect about it, make choices. So every step of the way, you make choices. And if you choose to continue to the next step, is a form of panya. That you choose to come here, that you choose to pay attention, that you can remember what was said, that you now know how to apply, and then you begin to understand and say, hey, something is very nice about it. Eh? All these requires some thinking, some reflection, and the fact that you continue to the next step implies that there is wisdom going on. Again, mundane wisdom, but important, very important. Because you could have sat down there, heard nothing. You could have sat down there, heard something, but got it all wrong. You could have sat down there, heard it correctly, but don't remember anything. Or you remember already, but don't know how to apply. How many of us have attended talks after talks, listened to Anisha Dukkha Anatta, impermanence, suffering and soullessness, and then, you know, one year in, one year out. Buddha has an expression for that, by the way. He calls it lap dhamma. Lap. What does it mean, right? When you sit down, you put things on it, it stays. The moment you stand up, everything drops. So it's called lap dhamma. He, this was his, his term for the people who stand up, go home, don't remember anything really. Okay? So, right at the start of your journey, spiritual journey, you have to make choices whether or not it's the Buddha's teaching you're interested in. And that requires some panya. Okay. This is only choosing Buddha as a teacher. Then, after that, you have to choose a teacher. Buddha's no more. Dhamma's, Dhamma is there, but there are various versions of Dhamma. Buddha's no more, but there are various teachers of Dhamma, Dharma. They are all these things. Again, it requires some panya to know which one to pick, which one to follow, you may not know, at this, start, at this point in time, you may not know, you have, you have no idea who is selling the correct uh, medicine. But, but if you have the mundane pannier, you will be suspicious and your nose will tell you this particular form of uh, goyo is goyo. It's bluff. <laughs> Something here doesn't smell right. So it is also panya that will protect you, that will keep you relatively shielded from something which is off. It doesn't mean you don't go in there. You very, you very well will go in and check it out. And after you go then you realise something smells funny and you back off. So panya takes you to the right place. Panya will also tell you when, if you got it wrong, if this is wrong, you know how to back off. 
Pioneer, therefore, is a critical element to protect you. Pioneer is critical to protect you. Pioneer is critical to get you to make the correct choices. You see what I'm saying? All this at this point is still mundane Pioneer. Okay? Um, Pioneer at this point also enables you to understand, I put down here, basic. What is this basic we are talking about? This is what we are talking about, correlation. Earlier on, I mentioned that you listen to the, the teaching and you said, how does it apply in my life? And it does. For instance, the Four Noble Truths. In a very gross, broad, basic way, the Four Noble Truths must feel relevant. Dhamma is life. Dhamma is not concepts and ideas. Dhamma is life. Okay? So what do you mean by the Four Noble Truths must be experienced as part of life? You get moments when you get upset. And the odds are, on a single day, in fact, if we put it into a single hour, there will be pockets of period when you don't feel shook. In fact, you might even feel really not shook. Don't feel shook, not shook, not same. Ah. A bit different. But yes, I am that anal. It's very <laughs> different, okay? Not shook is... Mm, Okay, lo. When you say really not sure, it's ayo. <laughs> I love a Singapore audience. You see these kind of things, they all know. No need, no need words. Just haw and ha, they all know what it means. Okay, so you can have a situation where you sit there, you got nothing to do. Right? You nothing to do. Then you say, I'm bored. When you say I'm bored, you feel sure or not? Not lah. What, what will happen after you say I'm bored? The ladies go gardening, they go to make food to eat, the men go and chit chat, chit chat. Men, women also can do other things, doesn't matter. Play with iPad, play with games, watch television, read a book, etc., etc., etc. You get your mind distracted when you feel bored. And that's just nothing, okay? We haven't even come to the grief part. We haven't even come to the quarrel with the neighbour part. We haven't come to the part where your children call you name. And then you want to put already. You say, already. It's a bit like that. So, so, when you have all these little pockets, all these little pockets of not feeling great, not feeling good, in those little pockets, you may realise, you may not, but you may realise that it has to do with your looking for something. You don't know what it is, you're looking for something. Okay? Your, your heart, your energy is low, low, lean, low, low, lean, low, low, lean means you go round and round and round, a bit restless. So you're looking for something. When you get upset with somebody, you get angry with somebody, you're, you want something. You surely want something, one. I want you to show me respect. I want you not to call me name. I want you not to take me for granted. Aha, you see what I'm saying? All this, I want this and I want that. Okay? When you are craving for something, when you're craving for something, usually you, you, the normal person experiences it as something positive. 
which is why I was teasing somebody. Shopping day is a positive day. But shopping day is a craving day. But it's a positive day. It's fun. It's fun. Normal world. It's like that. What we don't realise, what we don't realise, the normal person, the normal person is all this feeding, feeding actually generates more restlessness, generate more negativities in the mind. Which is why very often, if we are of a national average person, for those who are new, national average means you're very normal, the normal person out there. And you give in to your craving, you give in to your anger, a normal person. If you're a very national average person, the odds are, by the time you hit your later part of the 40s and 50s and so on, right, you need Botox in a big way. Because your face will show. You will show the angst, will show the anxiety, will show the craving and show everything you don't want to show, they start to show for you. That's the national average, which is why the cosmetic companies are making so much money. You know, buy shares, buy the cosmetic shares. <laughs> whereas, whereas, if you are a practitioner, then you realise that all this feeding, the feeding of the instincts creates more and more and more problem. So you try, try to moderate it. And as you try to moderate, you begin to realise that actually you feel better. You can. And it's very sudden. It can be very sudden. For instance, for instance, your neighbour always sweep the floor and then land everything on your doorstep. Sweep, 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 sweep land like on doorstep. Then you're fed up. <laughs> fed up. <laughs> sweep back, you know. Then one day, one day, you realise that no, la, this thing doesn't work. La. Let's, just, let's just go talk to my neighbour and see whether it's okay you know, to explain something. And then you, first you bring some goodies, uh, bribery, bribery, bring some goodies. And nima hao, nima hao, uh, how are you? Asamadata, uh, whatever it is. Uh, then you say, okay, you know, we have this little problem. Is it okay if we don't do it this way? You know? Maybe I can do it this way. And then maybe, maybe you work out something. Yeah, there is a letting go. There isn't the resentment that you guys fix it. It might well be that I will fix it myself. It, will, it might well be that I forgive you, you don't know what you're doing. It might well be that you go across, make a friend. It doesn't matter. The point is you let go of the anger. For you, in that moment, you see the, the, the trilogy. The trilogy that you, because you originally had some resentment and you have a very strong wanting, it led to some kind of dissatisfaction, stress, problems. But if the point when you can let it down, let it be, make a friend, reconcile, whatever you do, and then it somehow feels so much better. So as far as you're concerned, in that episode, for you, is a learning experience. It may not be something so major. It may be something very minor. For instance, uh, some, something very simple like, I want to eat something, and then I asuda, never mind. Not there, the shop closed, the shop closed, it doesn't matter. Then you feel better already. It may be something very simple. But for you to see a correlation of this, fact, this, this um, craving, craving leads to stress, letting go makes it better, you just see the connection and accept that connection. That 
in itself, seeing this connection and accepting this connection is panya, requires wisdom. And at this point, your wisdom is slightly more than the original, what I call rather mundane. It's still mundane, but it's slightly better. Because for you, the Dhamma comes alive already. It comes alive. And you say very difficult. Of course, it's very difficult. Easy way, not, not Dhamma already. Dhamma is difficult. But it's okay. It gets easier. Okay, all this mundane. Now, you said, I have accepted it. I'm taking this practice. This is the doctrine I want. This is the teacher I want. This is the way he taught, whoever you learn under. I think it's correct. I'm embracing it. Okay? So you are now ready to hop onto the Dhamma bus. When you hop onto the Dhamma bus, you, can you take out your notes? Huh? You see Maha Chattarisaka Sutta, the great 40. The Great Forty. Did you all find it? It's a it's a very beautiful sutta. Uh, there are some contro- There's a little bit of controversy whether or not this sutta was from uh, was during Buddha's preached by Buddha during his time or maybe a little bit later, but it doesn't matter. The core Dhamma is still there. You look at number six. And it says, what bhikkhu is right view. And here it says, right view is twofold. There is right view that is affected by taints, partaking of merit, ripening in the acquisitions. Then there is the right view that is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path. You see that? Okay, let me explain. This was said by the Buddha. Now I'm going to explain it in the context of our world. What does it mean by the journey? What it means here is that when you have panya, right view, comes right view is possible only when you have panya wisdom when the buddha used the word right view he he is implying encapsulate in that word that the person has wisdom okay captured in that word right view is already the assumption that the individual who has right view has wisdom. So therefore, based on this stanza, what he's effect- he was effectively saying is, when there is panya, it's used in two ways. There is the panya that allows you, that enables you to say that I will watch my behaviour I am mindful of karma. I will observe restraint, observe morality, do good, do no evil, do the right thing, etc. So, partaking of merit, 
ripening in the acquisition. This is karma affected by taints. This is morality. You understand that? So one part about Tanya wisdom means you know what is right and what is wrong. And you choose to do what is right and to avoid doing what is wrong. So when you observe the precepts, the precepts are not commandments. They're not words that you must follow, but that you know you have to do it for the practice. Panya wisdom enables you to know what must be done and why it must be done. Why is it we are so strict about not taking things not given? It's a simple thing. Don't take what's not given. We all move it to new heights, okay? The normal person will say don't steal. But in Buddhism, a practitioner will take it to new heights. Meaning to say, when you tear your parking coupon, you don't cheat 15 minutes. When you use your office stationery, you don't use it for your own thing. You want to do your own thing, you bring your own pen. It's down to that level of noble action. Why like that? Why do you say why like that? Because we know that the mind is full of craving. The more you want to practice the path, the more you've got to let go of that craving. Why you cheat the government 15 minutes of coupon? Seriously? Craving, right? It's all craving. Why would you want to take the stapler that belongs to the company? Be cheaper, ma. I don't have to buy my own. Got jam so you want to calculate. You see what I'm saying? Lies, lying. I get asked this question 101 time. White lie can or not? White lie not lie. Lie got colour on it. There's a purple lie, there's a red lie, that's a white one. Lie is a lie. Why are we so strict about it? Because every time you want to create a new version of reality, it's a creation in the mind. You tell the story often enough, no matter whether it's to help or not to help, you tell the story often enough, your mind becomes fuzzy. So here you want to help these people. There you're creating all these stories. After a while, your Hollywood is in your mind. And you then will make it become harder and harder for you to differentiate very sharply the facts. Absolute truth. It becomes fuzzier and fuzzier, blurrer and blurrer. Because your mind created the habit, has developed the habit of constructing a story. So, this is the reason why the more you are dedicated to the practice, the more you restrain yourself. You find your mind wanting to. Easy way out, easy way out. Someone says, can we go out together? I want to say the one. But then I don't hurt him. So what do I say? I'm not free. <laughs> Why couldn't you have said, uh, I don't want to go out with you? <laughs> That's the first part of it. That you know for yourself why something is, has to be done uh, in this way and why not 
in that way. So meaning your morality, your upholding of ethics is done with wisdom. And you uphold it. Why do you uphold it? Because you want to support your practice. To see Nibbana. The practice is to realize Nibbana. That's all. Okay? It is not to get you to heaven. Of course, some of you have got lower expectations. Aspirations, aspirations. Okay, fine, fine. Go heaven, go heaven. But it's really for Nibbana, for realization. Okay? Then you see, part two, there is right view that is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path. Which is what I have been saying, that Panya, the second use of it is to be able to see Dhamma, to penetrate. And it's a tool, it's a factor of the path. It's a tool. You don't have this mental state, this tool, you didn't develop it in a sharp way, then it doesn't work. It's like having a scissors. You need to cut a piece of cloth, you need a scissors. You can't saw. You need that scissors. So panier is essentially that scissors. But if your panier is blunt, it's going to take a long time for you to cut a piece of cloth. Right? In fact, your cloth is going to look very awful because of the bluntness of that thing. So panier, panier is very sharp. It has to, the tool has to be developed in a way that when you use it, it cuts right through. Cuts through the mental fog. Our mind is surrounded by a mental fog. And you need the wisdom to slice it through. Okay? Now, if you look at your notes, the first thing I said, therefore, panya, about knowing how to make the right choices. Sama Sankapa in your Eightfold Path as number two. Sama Sankapa. What is Sama Sankapa? Right thought. From having right understanding, having the right form of wisdom, you then, with wisdom, make correct choices. Make the correct choices. And what does it mean by making correct choices? You will find that arising as a instinct, on an instinctive basis, arising is one thing. One thing. So, a right approach is to know how to give. Give. Nekkamma is to give. Giving is not natural, not instinctive. One thing is instinctive. If giving were so instinctive, then there will be a lot of um, money floating around going all over the place. But instead, we have to go around and have all kinds of charity shows and all kinds of walkathon, all kinds of donation in order to persuade people to give. Right? The, if it's a place that sells very good food, you don't have to stop people from going there. You don't have to go and lay long. People just all flood there. It's very instinctive. Hey, nice food I want. Whereas you ask someone to go in there, he queue for three hours, he ain't going to buy it for you. <laughs> He's just going to buy it for himself. <laughs> you see that? Okay. That is about giving. The flip side of it 
If you want something, you can't get it, you get angry. So the flip side is to want to not get angry, to want to be kind. Those are not instinctive either. When we, when we want something and we don't get it, you can see your temper coming up. If, if whatever comes out, either nothing comes out, so you hold, or whatever comes out is flip over and say it's okay, doesn't matter. Whatever comes out is positive, then you have arrived. It means right thought. You have done it correctly. I have always said this. It's always very easy to be nice when you are happy. It's very difficult to continue to be nice when you are angry inside. Whatever that comes out, right, is so difficult to contain. And why then are we angry? We are angry because it's something we want we didn't get all the time. You just watch your mind. Every time you're angry, right? You don't tell yourself, you don't ask yourself, oh, I'm angry. Why? Huh? Because somebody's fault. Because you want somebody to do something. You want somebody to behave in a certain way. It's always like that. Likewise, when you're angry, don't ask yourself what is it you don't want. You always ask yourself what is it you want. Because when you say, I don't want something, that's not where the answer is. Every time when two people quarrel, right? When people quarrel, when people quarrel, they tend to say, you never do this for me. And the fellow will say, but you are also like that. You also never do this for me. So the nevers will flood the place. And then at the end of that, nobody resolves anything. What they should have started right from point one is, I want this done. I prefer it this way. It solves a lot of problems. If the other side can reciprocate and say, actually, I prefer it this way. I want it this way. <laughs> a lot easier. Straight away, you get to the crux of the problem. I'll give you another example. I, I'm... I'm, I'm very bad examples. So I'll just give you another one. So say you have a child, okay? It's a young, young kid. And the kid kept jumping. Hop, 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 hop. And you want, you tell the kid, stop jumping. Don't jump. Don't jump. So what the kid do? He doesn't jump, he run around. I can see your temper coming up already. He run around. Then you say, don't run, don't run. Then he's saying at the top of his voice, <laughs> He kicks the door, he kicks the door, he kicks the table, he kicks the chair. You don't kick the table, kid. The, chair, the kid's going to ask you, don't run, don't jump. Don't, wait, that's what you want me to do. If right from point one, you tell the kid, come sit here beside me quietly. Solve the problem, right? <laughs> that would have solved your problem, right? So our problem is... Many a times, we are unable to say what we want properly. As a result, we create all kinds of misunderstanding. And the basis for us having a temper that comes up is always you want something, you didn't get it. The basis. Unless you are kisiao, then for no reason for no reason you have anger. But generally, the normal person, there is a condition outside. There's a condition outside, okay? And the condition is, I want something. 
So, first one, about making choices. The second one is what the Buddha said about taming your own negativities. If you have wisdom, you recognize why you have to tame your negativities. If you have wisdom, you choose to do good. You choose not to do bad. If you have wisdom, you go one step further and say, not just action. Doing good, not doing bad is action. Not just action. It's what's in there that you try to overcome. And taming negativities would mean five sets of taming, okay? Number one, taming craving, taming greed, taming wanting. Taming that. So every time one, 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 quiet. So many one for what? Quiet. <laughs> taming ill will. Ill will. Some people very spontaneously will flare up. And then they will say other people's fault. Very spontaneously. I mean, of course, there are things that they want. Because there are so many ones, they can't take it anymore. Flare up, flare up. You've got to tame that. Tame the ill will. The third one, taming the lazy energy. A lot of us who don't practice on the daily, meditate on a daily basis, the chances are, well, today they're tired. I work very hard in office today. I must rest. Then, prop. <laughs> Maybe I will work, but, but, but I eat too much, I eat too much, so I can't concentrate. <laughs> Once you eat so much. So, taming the lazy energy. Okay, I can bet you a lot of you will have this problem if you don't meditate. Sorry, the reason for your non-meditation is, I'm very tired, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Okay. The fourth one, taming the restless, agitated, shooting around energy. And the fifth one was what you just said. Taming the talking, talking, constructing mind. I kept changing the definition of that word. The original word is vichikicha. Vichikicha has always been translated, traditionally be translated as doubt. And I've always felt that the translation, the doubt translation is off. It's not, not quite hitting it correctly. It has to do with a mind that says, I don't understand. I don't know what it means. Can you please explain to me? I'm perplexed. So I started using the word perplexed, okay, to replace the word, uh, for the word vichikicha. I use the word perplexed. Then it struck me that actually it's a little bit more it's a little bit more than perplexed. Perplexed is a state of mind, correct. But many people who are perplexed start having, it's a product of that, huh? a, a product of perplexity is to start creating their own logical understanding of issues. So they go into conceptual construction. Like, okay, I don't understand what is soullessness. Maybe soullessness is this. Ah, maybe it's this. Actually, maybe it's this also. You created a whole definition of soullessness all by yourself, all by your own creative self. Then because you have already created all these things, it becomes very problematic. Someone says it's not all, any of the above. You go, you sure or not? I thought it through very carefully, you know? It's all very logical. Right? 
And you don't forget, I got PhD one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Die already, lah. You got PhD one, got some problem already. So perplex, actually, the word literature is actually perplex. But the correlation to the word, to this particular problem, is a tendency to overthink. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> um, you extend it a bit further. If you have wisdom, if you have wisdom, you will also know that you need to, not just do good, do evil, but you have to cultivate a pure space in here. Pure space in there. So the paramis come in. Paramis are like, uh, in English, it translated as perfection. Qualities, qualities identified in the Buddhist community said to be identified by Buddha, but they are actually not all that identified by Buddha. But they are said to be identified by Buddha as qualities, good qualities that must be developed for mental development. Good, they are good qualities. So it will be things like having faith, having energy, having determination, metta, patience, uh, wisdom, equanimity. So all these are qualities. doesn't matter. The point is they are all good. And you choose to want to do it. And one of the things which has never appeared anywhere, which I would then say it separately, most of the things have been appearing all over the place. No need to give special attention to. But there are two things which are not explained anywhere and which I think are very important. And they only appear in Paramis. One, one is patience. The second one is aditana. Patience is kanti, aditana, determination. These two didn't appear in the seven factors of, in the in the thirty-seven factors of enlightenment. They didn't appear. Virya is not aditana, not same. <laughs> virya, virya is not aditana. They're not the same. Virya, Aditana is determination. You don't give up. You don't give up. You hop onto the train. You see, you find yourself dropping off the train. You hold onto the train. <laughs> it's like the you know you, you, you watch shows and you see the Indian train right pulling away. Then everybody hanging all over the place trying to hold on to that. Aditana is you will reach a destination two hundred fifty kilometers later. You're still holding on to the rails. Okay, determination to go on and on and not give up. That's Aditana. Uh, virya is energy, which is to clean the mental space. They're not the same thing. Okay? The other one is Kanti. Again, Kanti never appeared anywhere. Only in the Paramis. Why I feel that Kanti needs a special treatment? When you're practicing, there will be time when you backslide. That, hello, you sane, is it? You surely will lose temper one. You surely will give in to your craving. That plate of chakwetel looks so good, you bopi and you have to go. Okay? You will have all these moments when you backslide. You have to have patience with yourself. This kanti, this patience, is a pure quality. It's patience towards others and patience with yourself. The more you are a practitioner, the more you're a practitioner, the more you are very strict with yourself. And the ones who are not very wise 
will do self-flagellation every day. Go before the Buddha, chan kui, chan kui. <laughs> you don't have to do it like that. Because you are supposed to go before the Buddha and say, before the Buddha, as I forgive others, I hope to be forgiven. Let's forgive everything. Lah. So forgiveness, it is not re remorse. It is forgiveness, not the same. Buddha tells you to forgive. He didn't tell you to feel bad. They're not the same thing. Forgive is to let go. Feel bad is to hold on. Not the same thing. So you've got to understand the Buddha's teaching properly. Patience, kanti, complements forgiveness. I'm patient with myself. Sudah lah, sudah. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> no problem. Move on. But must be with understanding lah. Don't cheat and me never mind, forgive. Cheat a bit more. Never mind, forgive. Buddha said, can forgive, ma? so I forgive. Every day you cheat, every day you forgive. <laughs> That's not correct either. This kind of forgiveness has to be done with panya. That's why all this is wisdom, you see. Making the right judgment call in your life so that there is balance. Today is a day when you feel very restless, you feel them fed up. So someone step on your tail, you snap at the fella. Oh, then you feel very bad, very bad. What kind of Buddhist I am? I'm what kind of practitioner, I just let go and snap like that. Not so good, not so good, right? That night, you stand before the Buddha's rupa and you go, okay, I'm a bad student today. Okay, tomorrow I endeavour to do better. Then you fall, for heaven's sake, tomorrow do better lah. Tomorrow I try. And then you let go. Let go. It's actually very tough. Eh? The more you are a practitioner, the more you take yourself to task. So a part of the wisdom that grows is when you learn to forgive yourself. Genuinely. I am only human. I am only a practitioner. I'm very new on this path. I'm still very young. Do you, do you seriously, if you're two-year-old, if you're very new, right, you're like a two-year-old toddler. Your two-year-old break your thing. <laughs> you don't, right? Okay, okay, okay. Don't, don't touch, don't touch. You're going to hurt yourself. You forgive. If you are a lot Many, many, many more years in the practice. Many, many, many more years. You've been doing this for how long? Uh, 20 years. So now you're a 20-year-old kid, right? 20-year-old daughter or son. Uh, go ping, pong, ping, pong, spoil all your things. Obviously, you're going to be a lot more annoyed, right? You're not going to, never mind, never mind, it's okay. You're going to, hey, what is going on? Surely you're better trained than this. <laughs> I expect more from you. So say, if you're very new on the path, Learn to accept that you will make mistakes. Have the wisdom to recognize that and have the wisdom to let go. Don't hold on to it. But also have the wisdom to say this is not right. <laughs> say that it's not right and we'll do better. And not a case of, as I said earlier, forgive, forgive. It's okay, it's okay. Then cheat, more cheat some more. Not okay. okay. It's when you make a genuine mistake and not a deliberate mistake. Not the same. Okay, then you also make choices about wanting to practice. 
you must have wisdom to say I want to practice. So your wisdom can be very low level that says all I want is to do good, do no evil without realizing why. Okay? And then you can have the next level of wisdom that says I'm keeping my mental space clean. I know it. So it's not just doing, not just the action, but now it's it, keeping this mental space clean and you know you're doing it for practice. And then you don't meditate, you don't practice sati because never mind that one next life can do. This life, I only handle all the viriya part, all the part that deals with morality, that what I can handle. Meditation be difficult. No time, no time. I'm very busy, ma. no time. No wisdom, ma. your wisdom only end halfway. Wisdom to do good, do no evil. Wisdom to try and be a good person on a daily basis. But no wisdom to say, the practice has to be done. I need to hop onto the train. I cannot just be hanging at the rails. I need to go into the train. And for that, you need wisdom. Okay? Wisdom to say, I will want to do it. It's all, it's all part of growing up. Huh? All this is a growing up process. It's, it's not uh, a case where I'm saying, hey, not, not good enough, not good enough. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is a growing up process. As you find yourself growing on the path, you will then find yourself wanting to do more and more. And the wanting to do more and more has to do with the growth of your wisdom. And it will reach a point when you really want to chong for the rest. It's all part of growing up, uh, development of wisdom. This segment, we're going to talk about the pannier that we use to see. Dhamma. Earlier on, is the mundane. It starts off with a mundane pannier that allows you to pick the right path, the right teacher, the right school, the right doctrine. Then comes having a slightly more developed wisdom that tells you that you need to practice the path properly, that you understand why you want to observe morality, you understand how to observe mor morality practices, you start to see the correlation between morality practice and your daily life. You actually got to start seeing that. See, every time you want to lose your temper, you say, no, 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 it's okay. That's, it's okay, let it go. Every time you manage to do that, you say, hey, I'm doing well today. Pet, pet, pet a bit. Must pet yourself, okay? Don't worry about the ego. It's there anyway. So you're going to pet it a bit. Because when you do right, you need to... You need to it's like giving stars, lah. But it's yourself wearing stars, lah. Give yourself stars, okay? <laughs> For some of us, we can't afford so much weight. Weight adding, lah. Stars cheaper. Imaginary ones. But ultimately we are interested in the pania, that mental state, the so-called factor of the path that enables you to see Dhamma. That's the one that we want. We want to ask ourselves how to develop that. Buddha gave some advice on how to develop that. And what exactly does it do? 
the part about how to develop is easy to explain because they're all in the suitors. The one, exactly what it does is a lot trickier. I will try, okay? But bear with me when it sounds like going nowhere. Okay, as you do your meditation, because if you have that wisdom, you will know that apart from morality practices, you also have to do your meditation. You need to, be, you need to put time aside to sit and do concentration meditation as well as be mindful in daily life and in meditation. The reason is because your mind, and I've said this again and again, has to go quiet. It has to reach a certain state where there are not many arising of thoughts. Not so many arising of thoughts. It has to be objective. It has to be uh, light. The mind itself is light. It's effortless. Effortlessly aware. Effortlessly aware and in the moment. Someone mentioned to me about the state of mind which can see itself. Seeing. See, seeing. It is like that. It is correct. But this is only a state of mind. In this particular state of mind, if it is effortless, meaning to say your concentration and your mindfulness is mean try one, it just stays there. If it's effortless, you may start to observe that when there is the arising of feelings, you caught it right at the arising. When there is a arising of a mind being distracted by an object, you will catch it. It's that sharp. It's that sharp. You have to develop it to that level of sharpness. Why? Because, because right at the end of this practice, you have to have a sharpness that look inwards, not look outwards. Subsequent weeks, I will explain the difference and so on. But right now, I'm just explaining Panya. Panya enables you to recognize that state. But it will capture the call. Capture? Yeah. When you're mindful, right? Mm -hmm. When the mind is very clear, very quiet, very aware of the moment, that particular state of mind that can see Dhamma, that particular state you may or may not realise that it's there. Honestly, you may or may not realise that it's even there. You are there. You are aware of awareness, but you have no idea that this is what you need to see Dhamma. So it will come and it will go. The state arises, the state fades away. It will come and it will go. You can sit, your concentration is very good, the mind becomes very sharp, it's in the state of the moment. The mind is in the state of the moment. But if you have no panya, if you have no wisdom, you don't realise the moment. You don't realise when your mind has become so sharp, it is aware. So panya, that wisdom, enables you to recognise this particular state of mind. Panya, that wisdom, allows you to use this state of mind to know what Dhamma to look out for. 
And Panya, when the Dharma concepts, the Dharma knowledge start to surface, it is Panya that will spot it and understand what it is about and navigate through these awareness, these understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying? Excellent. Jackpot. <laughs> Go la, go la, some, 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 behind you what? When fracture is arising, then how to deal with the arising? When capture is arising, then how to deal with the arising? Ah, when you capture arising, don't deal with arising. Watch arising and watch it fade away. That's why the Buddha, in explaining wisdom, he always used these words. He is wise. The Seka Sutta, he is wise. He possesses a wisdom regarding rise and disappearance that is noble, penetrative, and leads to the, to the complete destruction of Dukkha. Meaning, he notes when a sensation of the mind, a mental state of the mind, he notes it arising and he notes it fade away. That's all. He does not handle arising. He just note quietly. Patience, patience. Note it arise, note it fade away. That's all. Panya, panya allows you to recognize the state of mind that is quiet and realizes, panya is the one that allows you to realize that this is the state you need. And then you keep quiet and just watch your mind. Just watch it. And Panya allows, enables you to, in watching this mind, start to spot the phenomenal, arising of sensation, fading away of sensation. Panya recognizes it. This, this, Panya will say, this is anicca, impermanence. Panya will say, this is what Buddha says, arising and falling away. Panya recognizes it. And Panya will be the one that says, Buddha says, no craving, don't hold. Don't hold. So Panya tells you in your meditation or in your watching, don't cling. Panya tells you what to do. But the Panya tells you what to do. Is that, is that construction? No, it is not. Panya knows that it is not construction. That's why the Panya is so difficult, you see. It is a mind by itself that can recognize, see itself, know what's going on, understand this is Dhamma, realizes this is what has to be done. So the ultimate of the Panya as it develops, right, as the Panya develops, is all the steps. See what's there, understand what's there, know why it's there, know what has to be done, know when it is done. Ultimately, that's Panya. That's why ultimately you need this particular panier to take you all the way to the end. Remember this train, right? At the highest level, panier is the driver. Panier adjusts the aircon. Panier makes the announcement, ladies and gentlemen, we're arriving at the next station. Panier is the one that says, it's finished, get out! <laughs> so, panier that's the importance of knowing Panya. Panya has to be known for itself. I'm not creating any of these things. 
Okay, this the paneer. That's why paneer is is um. It's almost like it is a means to the end. It is the end in itself. And paneer also need to recognize what is paneer. Exactly. So paneer is the one that knows when there is thought construction. And Pania is the one that knows this is not thought construction. This is awareness. Can I say thought construction uh, also foxing? It's never close to the... Thought construction is nowhere in the... It's not in the practice. So the first thing one has to be able to do is to stop the thinking. To stop the habit of thinking. Do you think the Pania uh, to replace the thought construction? It's not using it to replace it per se. It is knowing the difference, recognizing the difference. When you recognize the difference, first you've got to recognize the difference. This is a mind that is quiet, empty, no arising, not thinking. This is a mind that has caught up, it's caught up in its own thought processes. You are not even aware there is thinking. A thought construction, even when you are aware, there are two types of eh? thought construction, which is both wrong. One is you're caught up with the thought and you're running away with the thoughts and you're no longer objective, you are the thinking process. You run off. There's a mundane world. There is a second type where you are aware you're thinking. You know you're thinking. There is a certain objectivity to the thinking. And then you suddenly think you're very smart. This must be correct because I usually don't think like that. Thinking is thinking, it's wrong. The actual mind that can really see Dhamma starts with the seven factors of enlightenment, which is what I was going to explain next week. The actual mind that can see it starts with the, the mindfulness. The mindfulness that is so still, it's watching, it's objective. It has no comments, it just is aware. And is aware of being aware. You need the pioneer to know that, this is the mind you want. So that in the arising of an understanding of Dhamma, it sees things and it goes, this, 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 is, un this is rising and falling away. It recognises it. The recognising is pioneer. And as it arises and falls away and it keeps seeing it, it goes down to recognizing when it comes up in the arising itself. In the arising itself, there has to be a letting go. It knows it. So the Panya, look, if you recall, I, I'm not sure whether it was this class that I said, I said this to. I've said this before. I'm very sorry. I'm not sure whether this is the class I mentioned it. And it's this. All the reading that you're doing, you need to read the suttas, right? All the readings that you're doing, all the listening to the talks, all the reflection that you're doing, the discussions that you have, all these must be done beforehand. They are part of the learning, digesting, reflection, absorption process. Then they are all stored. Okay? It's all anatta. It's all condition. The day when you sit down quietly, your mind does hit a state of quiet and is very detached. It's very clear. You don't even have to force it there. It just stays by itself. Suddenly, your two-year-old kid is very quiet. Just sit down there by himself. In that state, right, 
all the preparation that you had done, everything you have collected will come to fruition. It will pop out by itself. It's kind of internalized in there and in a digested manner, give you your kuelapis. <laughs> your whatever food that you like. I don't know what you like. So whatever food, it, it, it kind of digested, cooked and delivered as a dish nicely. So when you see it, you don't know how it comes about, but it came up. Anicha, you spot it. If your preparation has been done correctly, if you have done all the reading, all the reflection, you understand it correctly, conceptually, in meditation, when the mind is quiet, all the little knowledge will pop up as part of a seeing of the mind. As you see the mind, you start to be able to identify the features of the mind. Being able to identify the features of the mind, being able to do it is panya. Panya, panya is not that quiet state. Okay, The quiet state, the platform, the stage is not panya. But the stage, for the stage to be meaningful in a Dhamma experience needs panya. See the difference? You can have a beautiful stage. You practice meditation so well. You're so quiet. Your mindfulness is fantastic. Your stage is ready. Okay? Then all those little actors that pops in and out of your, your mind, right? The little actors, they are there. They're dancing all over the place. But under normal circumstances, you didn't even see them dancing there. But now that your stage is all quiet, there's nothing there, you begin to spot these actors. And Panya is the one that tells you that particular one, what's his name? Richard Gere. <laughs> that particular one, who is he? You know what I mean? Panya enables you to identify the features correctly. Panya will tell you this is, this is who, that is what, who is this, what is that. Panya will tell you, I have to let go. So, hey, everybody! off the stage. Panya tells you that they all must go off the stage. You also know how to get them off the stage. And so on and so forth. And ultimately, Nibbana can only be realised when the Panya is there. The fellow has to go there. Nibbana! Must be like that. Okay? Concentration is a, a state of mind that gets you there quiet, calm. when quiet, calm and so on with concentration and mindfulness. And the Panya has to be, it's a separate fella. Panya is a separate fella. I'm going to teach you how to develop Panya. Yes. Daily life. Daily life, where they're just quiet. Yes. And then you see it. Yes. It hits you, oh, this, this. Yes. Panya, if your meditation is good enough, your mind is also quiet in daily life. For some people, they see more Dhamma experience in daily life. Okay? It, and it can... Look! Remember all those stories of the Arahans? How did Chula Pantaka see it? He was rubbing his thing, rubbing his brow rubbing his brow with a white cloth and then he looked at the thing turning black 
and realize impermanence from there. It's daily life. It wasn't meditating. Then you have uh, Patachara, splashing water, water trickling away, trickling away. That's the lifespan of beings, some long, some short, some medium. And that's mortality, that's impermanence, that's anatta. So all the realizations of many of these arahants, many of them, not all, many of them were in daily life. As, but the mind has to be ready, you see. The mind can only reach that level of quiet if you do meditation very properly. You do it often enough, it becomes a habit. So the mind in the daily life doesn't have a lot of distraction. Then you also have the ones who see in deep meditation. Only in deep meditation, they saw it. And, and um, we know of cases where the Buddha would stand up. Sariputta was going to the room, going to disturb somebody who was, going to, who was meditating. <laughs> Buddha stood up there. <laughs> Let me talk. So the two of them started talking while the guy inside there was getting it in meditation. So yes, in meditation and also in daily life. Okay? The question is whether you manage to prepare it enough. Lah. Prepare your mind enough. Okay, now next, Sutta Mahavedala. Mahavedala Sutta. In the Mahavedala Sutta, you look at uh, number 13. Again, uh, right view always panya. So two conditions for the arising of wisdom, in other words. One being the voice of another and the other being wise attention. You, you, you see that? The voice of another, meaning a teacher, the Dhamma, meaning the suttas that you read, your a, a friend who is a very seasoned practitioner, meaning you, you derive the knowledge from learning from another. It's an external inject into your system. What I said earlier, all collect, 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 all the knowledge, all the ideas, collect, 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 keep. The second one, wise attention, this is internal. This is Yoniso Manasikara, internal. Meaning, you spend your time meditating, reflecting, looking at your mind, looking at your mind, keep collecting data points of rising, falling, rising, falling. You keep collecting all these data points. So the two things that's happening, one is engagement with other people, listening to the Dhamma talk, reading from the Dhamma, having advice from another. And the second one is, are you practicing within? You need the two to combine. And then the Buddha said, why, why do you need Panya? Here he said, for direct knowledge. The purpose of Panya is direct knowledge. Its purpose is full understanding. Its purpose is abandoning. What we have said in the Dhamma Roadmap, for those of you who even know the Dhamma Roadmap, remember what I kept saying? That after you develop your mind, right, you now take this mind that is quiet, what do you look at? Now you look at the mind. And when you look at the mind carefully, you will start to observe certain features about the mind. When you see those features about the mind, it's direct knowledge. 
when you look at your mind, you observe features. You notice that every sensation that comes up fades away. Everyone that pops up fades away. You realize for yourself impermanence. That's direct knowledge. Taste it, see it. So Panya must enable you to see it. It's for seeing it. Okay? The purpose of Panya is direct knowledge. Knowledge in itself, at this point, at this point of the practice, knowledge in itself is not the Panya. Panya is the seeing the thing. Okay? Then, then comes full understanding. Now that you see it, do you know what you are seeing? Now that you are seeing Anicca, do you know what that, that, that you are looking at is Anicca? Do you know that? Panya enables you to know that. Panya enables you to say, this is Anicca. I know now, Anicca, what it looks like, what it feels like. I'm seeing full knowledge. Then comes the third part of the Dhamma Roadmap. There's a third part. I said, ultimately, seeing is not enough. Can you let go? So, Panya. If you have the Panya, you will know you have to let go. Its purpose is abandoning. Later, <laughs> first see the Dhamma. <laughs> anxious, anxious. Later, I'll explain to you. Huh? Later, I'll explain to you. So you see that Panya enables you to recognize and enables you to understand. It enables you to know what to do next. The three things that Panya helps you to do. And how do you develop Panya? Buddha said there are two things you need to be able to do. You have to read, you have to, it's an external engagement, external engagement, that's for the voice of another. In Pali, Parato Kohosa, the voice of another. In the old days, they only learned from listening. So that's why Gohosa, voice. Today, no lah, today got internet, got suitors got YouTube, etc., <laughs> etc. Et so that is external. And the second one, Yonison Manasikara, that is internal. In your reflection, in your watching, in your meditation, you constantly remember to keep looking for it. Two things, okay? Paying attention to the correct thing. Yonison Manasikara is paying attention to the correct thing. What is the correct thing? Okay, I will tell you. It's in one of the notes later. Then, here, Buddha also add, add uh, some lines down, number 14, at, the bottom, at uh, about four lines from the top, it says, Here, friend, right view is assisted by virtue, learning, discussion, serenity, and insight. These are factors of enlightenment. Virtue is actually your sila, which is slash virya. Keep the mental space clean. You want to develop wisdom, you have to have purity in the mind. The mind cannot be caught up, the mind cannot be disturbed, the mind has to be quiet. And a quiet mind can come about only if it is pure, it is clean. Not caught up, not shaky. Learning this learning 
is not analysis. This learning is the one he said earlier, Parato Gohosa. You learn from another. You listen. You learn Dhamma. You expand your knowledge of Dhamma. It's okay to keep picking up knowledge of Dhamma. Okay? Discussion here is always uh, learning and discussion are together. They, basically, you know, the Parata Gohosa, he, he broke it down to two parts. One part is you learn, meaning the part that says you read, the, internal, the external inject, you read, you listen, and so on. The second part is you discuss. So Buddha brilliantly broke one point on from another to two parts. The best way to learn is not to passively learn, it's also to proactively learn. Proactively learn means you ask questions. You ask someone, you verify, you clarify, you don't make assumptions, you ask questions to get it, get it sorted out and to learn more. And at the same time, you share your own understanding and you ask somebody, or you can tell if you have a Dhamma group of friends and each of you start to, if you're developing together, if you're developing together, you basically learn from each other and your own experience you share with another. So that's how you learn. The other last two is the, the one that is inside. Yoniso Manasikara, right attention. That last two, serenity and insight is the one. Serenity, the mind must be quiet, must be detached. So you observe a mind that is quiet and detached and it begins to experience understanding, realisation, insight. You have to have a quiet mind and a quiet mind that enables, that allows you to quietly watch what it's doing by itself. And if you had been collecting the correct data, while you are observing that quiet mind, those data, those data that you've been quietly collecting, right? Because you've been talking to people, listening to teachers and so on, those are collected and stored, right? When you are quiet and you're watching the mind, those little knowledge will translate into something for you to see and you recognize them. If you have never learned, and you have never listened to Dhamma talk, you have never learned about Anicca, okay? Now you sit, you have never attended talks, you have never read, you're so hopeless, never read, okay? So you sit quietly, and your mind, because you're so good at concentrating, and you have been doing no good, do good, do no evil, you're such a good person, your mind is quiet. So you can sit, and it goes quiet. And now it's an empty stage there, right? No Dharma knowledge came up. Because you look and look and don't know what's going on there. <laughs> you, see, you see things happening, but you don't know how to say, this, you're not Buddha, ma. You, you don't know how to look at it and say, this is impermanence. Leh. You, don't, you don't see it, you don't realise it. You know it, but you have no words for it. So you can observe something without knowing what it is. That's why you need to marry the two. Okay? Now, if you flip to the front page, Two and three, yeah, where the Buddha say who is wise and who is unwise. Sorry, this is not Buddha, this is Sariputta. Sariputta and uh, Mahakutika, two of them having conversation. But it's okay, they are arahans, so it's okay. Who is wise, who is unwise? 
You look at the word that they use. Uh, one does not wisely understand. One does not wisely understand. One who is unwise. What doesn't one wisely understand? And then reply, Dukkha, that this is Dukkha. Note the word. Uh. One does not wisely understand. This is Dukkha. One does not wisely understand. This is the origin of Dukkha. One does not wisely understand. This is the cessation of Dukkha. And one does not understand the path leading to the cessation of Dukkha. And then you say, oh, I know this. That's the Four Noble Truth. You will score A for your exam, but may not score A for realisation. May not. Again and again, this thing keeps appearing. And we all know these things. How is it that we don't realise it? And that is because here, the word is wisely understand. The word is not conceptually absorbed that you know. Understand requires you to see it as it is. So as you look into your mind, you need to see for yourself that sensation of unpleasantness. And there are different types of sensation of unpleasantness. I will be going in part two of this entire series. In part two is when we go into the different concepts. I will explain what is dukkha, to be understood. And there are different types of dukkha. There's the gross one, which is experience of life. There is, at a deeper level, the dukkha of being alive. Existence, pure, just by being in existence. That is the experience of dukkha. There is a dukkha experience because you keep seeing change. They're all not the same. But these are all seen in meditation. It, the impact is deeper. Out of meditation, you can see the gross one. May or may not see the other, the other types. So, knowing Dukkha for what it is, knowing the driving force underpinning Dukkha. What is driving that sensation of unpleasantness? So we say it's craving. Again, correct, but a bit too, um, too simplistic. Our understanding is a bit too simplistic. It's too, it's too blunt. It has to understand at a very fine level. Buddha said, in the, uh, in the Dhammachakapautana Sutta, Buddha said, Dukkha has to be understood. The origin, the rise, the origin of Dukkha has to be abandoned. The relief from Dukkha has to be realised. The path leading to the cessation of dukkha has to be practiced. They are all not the same. Eh? Dukkha has to be understood, meaning the unpleasantness. Do you, can you see the different types of unpleasantness? 
And having seen the different types of unpleasantness, did you even realise what drove them? And now that you have seen what drove them, are you able to let it fade away? So therefore, it has to be abandoned, it has to be let go of. And once you let go of, if you are able to let go of the craving, immediately you will feel relief. It's automatic. The moment you can let go, you feel better. I feel better. Okay? That has to be tasted, realised. If you didn't realise that you can feel better, when you can let go, you feel better. You don't realise that, this doesn't make sense. And then it's a methodology of getting there. And the methodology is not just an A4 part. The methodology is essentially that three things. Having the correct start point, understanding. Having the morality practice to keep the mental space clean so that you can do your meditation. These are the three key components. You do this again and again and again and again and again, the mind will go clean. It will go quiet. It will go calm. Then you can see what makes it work. When you can see what makes it work, you can see what are the features of it. At that point, it's when can your mind let go. That's the, that's the last bit. Okay. Um, in another, in Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Four, Buddha said, four things lead to the growth of wisdom. Huh? Then you say, hey, how come different? Not, the, not different, same. Except he has expanded the features of it. The two key elements... External, internal, right? The two key elements. External is learning from another. Internal is learning from yourself, looking at your mind. So you look at these four. Association with good person, hearing the good dhamma, careful attention, practice in accordance with attention. Same, right? Two, two. Association with good people. This good is wise, huh? wise people. People who are practicing correctly. If you hang around these guys, they will be able to share with you how to practice correctly. They will be able to share with you what you must do, why you must do it, how you must let go, why you must let go. So they will actually be able to share with you Dhamma. Hence, the same thing, learning from another. It's the same thing. Then careful attention and practice in accordance Dhamma is yourself, inside. Developing the mind correctly. Developing inside properly. So, same. Just elaborated. You want to elaborate some more? Got some more. Eight. Book of Eight, Wisdom. He talks about eight causes and conditions that lead to obtaining the wisdom fundamental to spiritual life. He broke it down to eight parts. Here, a bhikkhu lives in dependence on the teacher or on a certain fellow monk in the position of a teacher towards whom he has set up a keen sense of moral shame, moral dread, affection and reverence. Let me explain. Basically, the first point is find a good teacher. But not enough. Find a good teacher with whom you have chemistry. You must have chemistry. That is why it says you have affection 
meaning you like the guy, and you have reverence, you respect the chap. The guy may be very good. He may be a first-class meditator and he's a very good practitioner. But you don't have chemistry. <laughs> le. It, whatever he said doesn't get into you. Le. Because no chemistry. Ma. So Buddha is wise. He tells you, find somebody you like and can respect. Okay? And because you like the guy and because you respect the chair, then you want to do the right thing. You don't want him to turn around and say, hey, you just have no standard. <laughs> it matters. Now, some of us are very concerned about our face, our public face. So we, if we are like that, we are vulnerable to people's opinion. Many of us who are more assured, we are not concerned about people's opinion. More assured, you, you don't really care. Practitioners, after a while, you also don't really care. But, but, towards the person you respect, you still care. Hence the word, hiri otapa. Moral shame, moral fear. What does it mean? It means with this individual, you care about what he thinks. So you want to be on your best behaviour. This is Buddha saying that with this individual, you can learn from the person. Because his opinion matters. You like him, you respect him. So you better make sure that you've got the right fellow. Here it says. The second one, he went on. As he is living in dependence on the teacher or on a certain fellow monk in the position of a teacher towards whom he has all these things, huh? he approaches them from time to time and inquires, how is this Bhante? What is the meaning of this Bhante? Those venerable ones then disclose to him what has not been disclosed, clear out what is obscure and dispel his perplexity about numerous perplexing points. Two parts here. One, this is a proactive relationship. You have someone you truly respect and you have someone you believe can guide you, then you don't ask questions. This is as good as having Wikipedia which you don't use. So Buddha says, you've got a teacher that you can respect and you want to learn from, for heaven's sake, make use of it. Point one. Point two, the teacher's job is to be able to clear up. Clear up, meaning to say, clarify his perplexity, his confusion, his doubt, the questions that he has. So this is describing an individual who is a practitioner but quite lost. Or maybe not so lost, but still learning, okay? Still learning. And therefore, he needs guidance. So Buddha said, you have problems, you have questions, go ask. And one way for you to know that your teacher is helpful is if he can solve your perplexity. If your teacher is unable to make you understand better, make you feel better, then problem. Lah. Either you are really not the chemistry not right, or maybe he doesn't understand. Okay, so you have to exercise some wisdom along the way. Three, having heard that Dhamma, he resorts to two withdrawal. Withdrawal in the body and withdrawal in the mind. 
This means being introspective. Now you start looking at your mind. The first two parts deals with another. This one deals with yourself. Yoniso Manasikara comes in here. The practice is about understanding the nature of the mind. So you have to withdraw inwards to look at your mind and body. But at this moment, the Panya is not developed. It's always there. It's developing. Okay? It's developing. Don't worry. Panya is not okay. Panya is not like that. Nah. Panya is not like this. Suddenly it appears. It's like a practice, 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 it suddenly appears. No. Panya is like making cake. You put the correct condition, you put it into the oven, it starts to rise. It's not cooked yet, but there's a process of rising, right? Panya is like that. Okay? No, it's not. No, it means go inwards and look at your mind. It means looking at your mind and looking at your form. It's being introspective. Whereas the instinct, because all this while is external. Remember? Look at your teacher, go ask him the question. It's external. This one is internal. You look, after you learn, you must go in and look at your mind and form. Okay? And understand, and understand this. He's virtuous, four and five, uh. he's virtuous, he dwells restrained by the Patimoka, possessed of good conduct and resort, seeing danger in minute force. Having undertaken the training rules, he trains in them. Let me explain. You dwell restrained by the Patimoka means I know the rules, I exercise control over my own instincts. I try to control and practice according to the rules. So something external acting as a check on your instincts. But the second one says, possess of good conduct and resort. As you practice, your, it must become second nature. Second nature. When you say, I need to be restrained by my precepts, it means it's not second nature. Your precepts control you. The day that your precept becomes a part of your life, a part of you, you possess of the precepts. You're no longer exercising control. Precepts don't have control. Precepts are part of you. And seeing the danger in minute faults, having the wisdom to know for yourself that you should not cave into your instincts. So now you're practicing well, right? Then more occasionally, there will be temptations. Occasionally, I think must tell a bit of white lie la. Occasionally, right? Here, you don't do it because you realize you shouldn't. So it gets deeper and deeper, you see. First you restrain, then you have it, then you understand why you have it, you never break it. Okay? And having undertaken the training rules, he trains in them. Meaning to say, you choose it. Having undertaken is, I choose to embrace it. I choose to say the precepts. I choose to have it. Then I must do it. Lo. That's what it means. La. 
Your mind, you decide you want to do something, then you try to hold on to it. And at some point, it becomes a way of life. With understanding, you lead this way of life. Okay, this is one segment. This is about morality. The next one, number five, sorry, sorry, number four, you look at number six. Number four and number six are actually quite similar. Number six, he aroused energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and acquiring qual- uh, wholesome qualities, strong, firm exertion, not casting off duty, etc., etc. This is virya. So you first, it's actually, these are sequential. Huh? All these are sequential. So correctly speaking, I should follow the sequence. You start off looking for a teacher. You found one you have chemistry with. You think you can learn from this guy because you like him, you respect him. And with him, you try to be on your best behaviour. You see that? So because you found someone like that, you go and consult him, you go learn from him. You picked him on, and then he doesn't mind you, so you go and learn from him. Okay? And then once you have started learning from him, you begin to realise that what is it you have to do? What is it that you have to do to progress? And one of the things that you have to do to progress is, sorry, uh, number three is, now that you have heard and learned, then you say, oh, okay, the, about this Dhamma is about looking inwards. You realise that the Dhamma is about learning, looking inwards. So you have learned and now you're starting to look inwards. Then you realise that the practice requires you to Observe morality because you need concentration. As you look inwards, you realise your concentration is not there, not good enough. You need the concentration. So therefore, you need to practice morality. And once you start practicing morality correctly, it's now a way of life, possess of it, it's a way of life, you begin to be able to meditate. He has learned much. Listen to this, number five. He has learned much. He remembers what he has learned. He accumulates what he has learned. Such teaching as he as these he has learned of, retained in mind, recited verbally, mentally dis- investigated, penetrated well by view. This is Sati Panya Dhamma Vichaya all add together. Sati. Because you start observing, looking at the mind, observing, looking at the mind. You reflect on what you have learned. You keep reflecting on what you have learned. It is not just words that that you forget. You listen, you learn a lot, you reflect, you sit. All this, retained in mind, recited verbally, mentally investigated, penetrated well by view. All these possible only if the meditation starts to come. In. The meditation starts to come in. With the meditation, constantly keeping your mental space clean to help with the meditation. They are feeding each other. You know all these things. I've done it many times already. You need to keep the mental space clean. Therefore, number six, the virya part comes in. The four, five, and six practice. They are all practices. Keep your mental space clean so that you can meditate. With meditation, possible to start seeing Dhamma as it applies in daily life and in meditation. Didn't meditate? 
didn't keep your mental space clean, forget about seeing Dhamma in daily life. Okay? Then you go on, seven. So much so, seven, uh, so much so that he no longer, he's no longer interested in jabber, 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 jabber. This guy is, is developing already. In seven, it says, in the midst of the Sangha does not engage in rambling, pointless talk. Either he speaks Dhamma or he requests someone to do it or he just keeps quiet. Basically, what happened at seven is that the mind of this individual is starting to become very quiet. And when it becomes very quiet and he observes the energy of craving, he starts to observe it very closely. Right? He realises that every time he talks and he gets all caught up with conversation, the mind gets very shaky because he's, he's looking inwards, he sees his mind. He sees them as very shaky. In all kinds of conversation, in all kinds of getting involved in activities, the mind gets shaky. If he's earnest about realising Nibbana, he has to start to look inwards and stay inwards. And the last one, which is the very important, Daily, dwell, he dwells, contemplating, arising, vanishing in the five aggregates subject to craving. Dwells is living soul. Daily life. Daily life, you observe your mind and you see arising of a physical sensation. Physical sensation, physical sensation fades away. Arising of a mental sensation craving, a uh, feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor not pleasant, fades away. A rising of a thought, a state of awareness, consciousness, ability to name something, all this arises and falls away, arises and falls away. So basically what happened at 8 is that the person starts to observe Dhamma in his mind, daily life. So to practice wisdom, essentially what it means is, apart from the meditation, in your daily life, as well as in your meditation, reflect on Dhamma. Reflect, if you can spot it. In other words, look at that stage. That stage. Get the mind quiet enough that the stage becomes obvious. You know what I mean when I say stage, right? Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> Who have no idea what I'm saying about the stage? Not the Shakespearean stage. Not Shakespeare's stage, the mind. mind. So you're, you have the mind, right? You have the mind, the mental stage, which is quiet, okay? In, you keep having your meditation so that the mental stage stays relatively, relatively quiet. That in daily life, it is possible for you to slip into a quiet, mindful, watchful state. It arises spontaneously and you must catch it because it can come and go. It arises spontaneously. Maybe when you're cutting fruits, it arises. Maybe when you are bowing before the Buddha, it arises. Maybe when you are... Sitting, standing in the lift, waiting for the door to open, it arises. It can. Any time, it can pop up. Mind suddenly becomes clear, you are aware of the moment. When you are aware of that moment, 
Many a times, people say, what is this? Stop playing your handphone. Finish. Moments go over. <laughs> a practitioner, the moment arises, <sighs> quiet. Watch quiet. Watch the mind. Watch awareness. Doesn't matter if no knowledge comes up. It means you didn't meditate enough. You didn't, you didn't listen enough. You didn't pay attention. So here he has, in the moment when it comes quiet, he has got something to look at. He looks at arising and falling away. Arising and falling away of the five aggregates of craving. The five aggregates of craving. Part two, we'll go into that. Then comes the part which everybody gets excited. How come it's not mentioned? Mindfulness directed to the body. Mindfulness directed to the body. The whole thing, the whole thing, Buddha talks about mindfulness of the physical form. When the mind is, when the mind is watching physical form, just using the body, just using the body as an object of meditation, by looking at, basically in daily life, this is a practice, this is for sati, sati practice, also some form of samadhi practice. But as you observe the nature of the body, you are able to do all these things. Do I have to read it for you? <laughs> Example. Okay? Example. Uh. By observing, by cultivating, by developing and cultivating a mindfulness directed to the body, okay? By looking at that, it can lead you to a strong sense of urgency. Do the great good, leads to great security from bondage, leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension, leads to the attainment of knowledge and vision, leads to a pleasant dwelling in this very life, leads to realisation of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. By cultivating mindfulness of the body, your mind can go all the way to Nibbana. That's what it means. But it follows a certain step. The first thing it will see right at the start point is you suddenly realise that why am I taking my own sweet time? The more you understand Dhamma, right? The more you read Dhamma, the more you attend this kind of classes, the more you uh, talk to like-minded friends, the more you feel the sense of I want to see Dhamma. I want to see it. The sense of urgency will start to grow. Not shook enough not to see it. And then the more you reflect about your form, you realise that this form is breaking apart. It will die. It will die and you really don't know what's the next form that will come about. You think, you think for sure that it will come about with a better form? We don't know, right? We can't be sure. So when you start to reflect on that, you become more aware of mortality, you will then feel the sense of urgency. So the urgency comes about either because you feel mortality or people are talking about it, you're really very curious, 
or your wisdom is starting to grow, mundane wisdom is starting to grow, and you're beginning to see again and again, again and again, Buddha says, again and again, you buried somebody, again and again, your bones got buried, again and again, <laughs> many lives, again and again, you move, again and again, you come. So, as your wisdom grows, you say, ah, enough, enough. So, the urgency starts. When it is urgent, it's a good thing because it means you are desirous of practice. That's why it leads to a good thing. You want to practice. And because you want to practice, it is protecting you against the kind of fetters. Don't look at the word bondage. It's fetters that hold you to life and to dukkha. When you start to practice, you learn to let go, right? You learn to forgive, right? You learn to develop your wisdom, right? All these will start to allow you to pull away the little tentacles and binds that hold you to existence and to hold you to dukkha. Existence, life, many parts of it very dukkha. But as you learn to let go, the sense of dukkha should start to fade a little by little. So the tentacles that hold you will start to fade little by little. And, and as you start to practice, this because this will keep you going. The more you practice, the more you start to understand. You practice correctly, you will start to see. You start to understand more and more. Hence this part about mindfulness and clarity in understanding. Not yet, all this is not, not even not stream entering yet. This is just progress. Okay? When there is mindfulness, when there is awareness, when there's good, correct understanding of Dhamma, it is possible for you to attain vision, knowledge and vision. Meaning, when you are sitting in your meditation, you see for yourself the nature of the mind, real knowledge, real true knowledge. Knowledge, this is jnana dasana. Jnana's knowledge, dasana vision. So as you sit, you realize that all these ups and downs, up and down, up and down is anicca, impermanence. Knowledge of anicca, see for yourself anicca. Vision is see for yourself. You will see for yourself. Okay. Look at this beautiful word. Leads to a pleasant dwelling in this life. Every time you see Dhamma, right? Every time you see Dhamma, there is a joy. And every step, every progress that you make in the Dhamma, the joy deepens. It's Dhamma joy. It will deepen. And as your, your this because this understanding comes with conduct, uh, because this is understanding, realization understanding, it comes with conduct, meaning to say, it is not a case where I see dukkha, I see letting go. No, it's that you are really letting it go. You're letting it be. You're, slowly, slowly, you build it into a habit in life. Because it's built into a habit in life, proportionately, right, we used to say, the more craving you have, the more dukkha you have. The less craving you have, proportionately less dukkha. 
in this very life, from a point-to-point basis, you start to feel better already. You start to feel better. So this pleasant dwelling, if you're on the right track, if you're on the right bus, if you're on the right bus, even if your pioneer hasn't taken over the wheels, right, you will still feel better. The last bit that says, leads to the realisation of fruit knowledge, of knowledge and liberation. This is the street entry we're talking about. And it goes step by step. It's when you start to experience letting go properly and you see how it's done, you have to see how it's done so the mind knows how to turn, know how to let go properly. Then that's when you realise the fruit and you realise the path. There is no such thing there is no such thing as realizing something without knowing how you get there. What you blindfold? Uh? Blindfolded all the way there. There is no such thing. Buddha has always said, puff and fruit, puff and fruit. You have to see how it's done, you know how it's done, then you walk to the end and have it done and taste it. Okay? So this is one of it. There are many more. <laughs> they are all, all of them. They are all. The only one which I will uh, point out to you that is directly relevant to wisdom is right at the end. It's basically different types of wisdom. How wisdom feels like in a, no, sorry, not different types. It's how wisdom feels like. Buddha must have gotten very carried away telling people how, how wisdom feels like. It's deep. It grows, it expands, it spans. Look at it, it's very cute. He, he, he talks about the growth, the expansion, the greatness, the diversity, the vastness, the depth. He goes on and on. This is how wisdom feels like when you have it, right? When you're, on that, when you're looking at the stage and your wisdom is there, you start to re- recognise. Then what happens is you, you, you will recognise that wisdom. The knowing mind that knows what's going on. The mind that knows what's going on and understand it with knowledge. That mind, that wisdom, you recognize it as a mental state and you recognize it as a mental state and as the knowledge in itself. So you need to know the mind as the mind with wisdom. It's there. And then in that mind, you, you, you start to be able to identify all the little factors, all the dumber concepts. Wisdom tells you what they are. So first you know wisdom is there. And then you know that this is the wisdom that's talking, it's guiding you to all the concepts. And then the wisdom must say, okay, now that I've identified all the concepts, what did Buddha say? Buddha say must let go. Okay, how do you let go? Wisdom must talk to itself. Seriously, they talk to itself, okay? So we said, okay, how do you let go? Buddha said, must let go. Then arises the knowledge. This is how you let go, wisdom says. And then there is the attempt to let go, which is how you do it, navigate, you navigate. It's also wisdom saying it has to be done like that. It has to be done like that, okay? And then when it is done correctly, the wisdom says, Tio Jackpot. Ah, this is correct, this is correct. It's like that. It's another. Okay, it does its own merry thing. But to get to that state and make sure that it's correct, 
you have to read the suttas. You have to go and engage in conversations with the practitioner monks or sangha, whatever. The, all this knowledge has to be gathered so that it's all stored here such that when the mind is quiet enough, when wisdom arises, is the correct one that goes and pull out the correct book. So wisdom knows which book to pull out, which page to look at, what path to follow, what it should be doing, how it should understand what's going on. That's wisdom. Have I lost everybody? <laughs> Question. Hey, but the sangha is not nothing to do with monk, right? Can be the sangha. Yes. Buddha was teaching monks. The, all these methods in Buddha's time, right? He taught monks because because this thing needs full time training. So he was actually teaching the monks to do it. But when you use the word sangha. Um, the Buddhas, in Buddha's mind, the Sangha is the true practitioner as well as the one who has realised. In the Buddha's mind. That's why your, your chanting, right? Supatipan no bhagavato sa wakasangho. That part, there's one part that says, Ya itdang chattari purisa yugani atta purisa yugana. And that phrase says there are four types of in, four pairs of individual, right? Eight types of people. So why four pairs and why eight types? You have the stream enterer who has seen the path, and then you have the stream enterer who has realized the fruit. You have the once returner who has seen the path, and then the once returner who has realized the fruit. The never-returner who has seen the path and the never-returner who has realised the fruit and finally the arahan who has seen the path and then realised the fruit. Eight individual, different times. The mind grows differently. Okay? So that's Panya. Does it even make sense? 